morning CBF. It's another lockdown Sunday, but it's a joy to be able to worship the Lord together through these technologies. Even as we are gearing up towards the fourth phase of our lockdown, praise God that He has kept us all joyful through these uncertain times. For today's study, we will be looking at a portion from Genesis. French philosopher Jean Paul once said, Man is a useless passion. It is meaningless that we live and it is meaningless that we die. On the other hand, William Shakespeare in one of his famous plays say, What a piece of work is man! How noble in reason! How infinite in faculty! How express and admirable! These are two extremes of secular views. So what is man? Today we will look at the biblical view of man. We are familiar with the creation story from our childhood. This is probably the first story we teach our kids about God through Sunday school and otherwise. In fact, one of the first verses we might have learned and taught our kids would be Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. But has the familiarity of the story led us to miss some core truths about the creator and creation? We are living in a world where man often has crisis for his identity and purpose. When we see the chaotic world today and anxious people all around us, gives us great hope and perspective to understand God's original plan for the world and man. Today we will explore some of the truths from the creation account in the Bible, specifically the creation of man, his position in the creation and what it means to be made in the image of God. We will study together from the scripture that man is not a useless passion, but he has a purpose to live and a destiny to go to. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 to 28 and chapter 2 verse 1 to 3. Let me read that for you. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creature, creeping things that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Chapter 2, verse 1 to 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. We know that Moses is the author of this book. He probably would have written it during the wilderness journey towards Canaan. The name of the book comes from the first word of the book, Bereshit in Hebrew meaning, beginning. This chapter in the book is one of the most controversial and argued over many centuries because of its diverse interpretation it brings. But in this chapter we can see three key origins, the origin of the universe, the origin of man and the origin of marriage. When we closely look at chapter 1 verse 1, we see three very important words, beginning, God and creator. What does it mean by the phrase in the beginning? I believe it is talking of a relative uh, beginning of time, space and matter when God decided to create the physical universe and its being. The first important word is beginning. There was a wrong philosophical idea which said that 
time has no starting or finishing point. The book of Ecclesiastes refers to a similar pagan skepticism as vanity of vanities. It gives a notion that we are caught up in a cosmic trap of running around in circles without any end or purpose. But in the very beginning of the scripture, there is an affirmation that there is a beginning and that beginning also anticipates the end of the universe and human history. At the commencement of the creation story, the passage declares that sovereign God knows and controls the end from the beginning. The second important word is God. The author doesn't make any attempt to prove the existence of God, rather makes another radical assertion of existence of God, a being without a beginning, eternal and self-existent. The third word is created. God creates the universe outside of a medium. His acts of creation are often referred to as ex nihilo or out of nothing. God alone can create something out of nothing. No magicians can do that. Creation also means that God is intentional and purposeful about making an ordered creation and it's not a cosmic accident or something that happened by chance. Understanding these three words is critical for our understanding of the rest of the chapter and in fact the whole of the Bible. Now in chapter to, uh, chapter 1 verse 2, we read the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. We see three negatives of the earth here. First, it was filled with darkness. It was formless and void. It was a deep watery abyss. The God's, God's first three days of creation was focused in making the uninhabitable earth productive. On day one, God created the light and darkness was separated from the light. Waters above was separated from waters below on day two. Dry land and vegetation appeared on day three, thereby making earth, thereby earth takes a shape and a form. Now the last three days of creation dealt with fill, filling the uninhabited earth with life. Day four to six were the days of population. Luminaries like sun, moon and stars were created on day four. Birds and aquatic life on day five and land animals and humanity on day six. Another interesting observation in God's creative activity is that there were clear separation and distinction made towards an order. Light from darkness, water above from water below, day from night, greater light from lesser light, and man from woman. Coming to the passage study today, in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 to 28 and chapter 2 verse 1 to 3, we will look at the three, we'll look at three very important truths. First, man as God's image bearer. Secondly, man's functions as God's image bearer. And th th finally, man's destiny as God's image bearer. Verse 26 and 27, we see man's, man as God's image bearer. The final day of the creation week is the, creation week is the most significant of the six. The, there is more space and detail given to, to, the, to its creative events than what is given in the previous five of it. Verse 26 starts with, Then God said, When did God say? When God was satisfied with all that was made till verse 25 and found it fitting for, the humani for humanity to exist, he made a deliberate decision to make humans. It shows the apt moment in terms of time, space and matter. The specialness of this section is immediately apparent because in verse 26, the narrative changes from the third person to the first person plural. It says, let us make, 
referring to the conversation among the Godhead. Within the Trinity, there is a plan of action. Triune God is purposefully creating a creature with purpose and in his own image. When we look at the verse, at verse in the, um, when we look at verse 26, there are two words used, image and likeness, concerning how God is creating a human. We can understand that these two words are interchangeably used when we study the overall scripture. Now, verse 27 amplifies the idea which was introduced in verse 26 that man was created in the image of God. And we see certain repeated pattern in that verse. We see that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created, the, created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, we come to the two most important questions we will be addressing today. How was the original man made in, in the image of God? Are we still in the image of God? Before even we try to understand the mean, meaning of the image of God, we need to remember that scripture doesn't define what exactly it mean, means by the image of God. But there are enough references given in the scripture for us to understand what it means to be in the image of God. So we are created in the image of God means in some sense God made us like him. One of the most common ways the image of God is understood in, is in terms of the personhood of man or the structural aspect. Our personhood is, is, is in some sense is derived from God who is personal. Humans reflect God's personhood meaning just like God we have self-consciousness, we can think, we can communicate, we make choices, we have moral consciousness and we have emotions. Secondly, God is a relational being. Even before he created the universe, triune God is in a relationship between each other from the eternity past. He created hum humans also as a relational being. God created man as someone who can relate to him. In other words, God created man desiring fellowship with him or also as beings he can, who can relate to other humankinds. Thirdly, we can understand the image of God in terms of the functional aspect. First, humans were created, were, uh, who were created were given certain functional responsibility to execute. The man was supposed to tend, take care and grow God's creation and bring godly offsprings who would also be God's image bearer. Each of it, our structural, our relational, our functional aspect contributes to the mystery of the image of God and it contains far more detail than we are capable of expressing. Something which is very clear from the text is that man is a creature made in the image of God. It implies that we don't become God, but we only bear the image of God. We are distinguished from God because we are creatures, finite, dependable, accountable and subordinate to God. Secondly, it also implies that we are distinct from all other creatures God has created. God never created any other creatures in his, his image. Man is the only creation where God himself fashioned him out of the dust of the ground and got breath into his nostrils to become a living being. Another important truth scripture, scripture teaches us that we are still in the image of God even after the fall. When God was establishing a covenant with Noah after the flood, in Genesis chapter 9 verse 6 we read, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. So God considers, the, considers a malicious assault on another 
another human to be virtually the same as an attack on his dignity because man still bears the image of God. Apostle James also understands that sinners still bear the image of God. James 3.9 speaking of our tongue says, With it we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Our soul is created when we are conceived in the in, the, in our mother's womb. The, that very moment we bear the image of God. Even though we are still in the image of God, due to the fall, the image is marred and shattered. The fall has corrupted every part of our being, crippling our original ability to reflect God's image in its true sense. Let me bring three important applications about this today. First, right response to our Creator. An image always reflects the original as, a, as in a mirror. One of the most important motifs we see in the New Testament is Jesus as the new Adam. Jesus fulfills what it means to be the perfect man. In John chapter 14 verse 9, Jesus says, Whoever has seen, seen, the, uh, seen me has seen the Father. In response to Philip's question, show me the Father. What Jesus says here is that he is the perfect image of God the Father. To understand Jesus' humanity is to see the image of God in its fullest sense. This is further made, uh, made clear by Apostle Paul when he speaks about Jesus Christ in Colossians 1 verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. We reflect God's image by conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. That is becoming more like him every single day of our life. In Romans 8, 9, 29, Paul says, for those whom he foreknew, he predestines to be conformed to the image of his son. When we as the image bearer reflect the character of God, we bring him the most glory. When we live a holy life, we are bearing witness to his holiness. When we act mercifully, we glorify him as the gracious and compassionate God. Being created in God's image, our first response to is to reflect God's character in our life. And secondly, to worship and enjoy God. When our life is in constant submission to God, acknowledging that He is the creator and we are the creatures in His image, it will lead us to a spontaneous worship to God. Secondly, a right view of ourselves. In the world we live today, we often attach our identity to the school or college we study, the company we work with, the positions or title we hold, the possessions we have, people we associate with and so on. When we strip off all of this, we find people feeling a huge vacuum in, in themselves and often a big identity crisis. We then ask, so, ask questions like, who am I? What am I here on this earth for? Counselors and motivational speakers try to provide answers to this question by saying, you are unique. There is immense potential in you. You alone can fulfill what you are created for. All you need is to just stay positive and believe in yourself. But they are missing the core truth what Bible is talking about, that we are God's image bearer. There are two extremes to which humans could go in the view of themselves. One, he can go on to become a narcissist where he loves only himself and do things that brings pleasures only to him. This brings about pride, boasting and other self-centered behaviors. On the other extreme, he can be living a life of low self-worth and value in self-pity. 
This will result in insecurity and worthlessness of self. Both are dangerous and wrong as per the biblical view of self. What we need is a right view of ourselves. The true, the true solution of our identity crisis can be only found in scripture than on worldly ideologies and philosophies. Scripture says, I am created by God in his image. I am forgiven and I am worthy because Christ's work on the cross. I find my purpose and identity by being in him and seeking after him. Our life is purposeful because triune God was intentional and purposeful in creating and redeeming us. Paul says in Colossians 1, uh, 3, 3, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's an important truth. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. We don't need to impress others or please others. We don't need to be an imposter of fake, uh, put a fake mask on ourselves. Because our identity, our purpose and value are not tied to what we do or what others say about us or what lies we have been told to believe, but on what scripture says about us. To be or not to be, that's the question. It's one of the most widely quoted uh, lines in modern English. It is taken from, from the famous play Hamlet by William Shakespeare. In the speech, Prince Hamlet contemplates on death and suicide because of pain and unfairness of life. He is confused whether to live or to die. This is how a common man who has lost the purpose of living and probably would have never known the true purpose things. For a Christian, abortion, suicide and euthanasia is not even an option if we consider the biblical answers to our identity and purpose. Whenever we are struggling with the question of identity and purpose, we are to go back to the scripture and remind ourselves that we are the unique image bearer of God on this earth and nobody can replace us. We build our self-worth and dignity based on this biblical truth. When we get anxious about the multitude of problems that could threaten our life, our family, or our job, or anything that is dear to us, we need to be reminded that reminded about, about the God whom we trust and who we are in him. We spoke about our right response to God and our right and the right view of ourselves. Now thirdly, we will look at right relationship with others. Relationship with others is one of the fundamental ways God expects, expects us to uh, reflect his image in us. Every single human we interact with is created in the image of God, irrespective of whether they are believers or unbelievers. We are to treat every single person equally with dignity and respect. Often as humans, we are prone to create distinction between us and them. By us, I am referring to a group, uh, to the group we form based on the commonalities among us. It could be based on the interests, character traits, background, culture, anything. Whereas them are those who are not part of the groups of cliques we have discussed. The question is how different we, we treat those who are in the group and those who are outside of the group. If we bring divisions and our actions are influenced by the things we do, then we fail to recognize that we, we, we all are created in the image of God. We have already seen that God, have, God has made separations and distinctions towards uh, towards an, uh, an order which is aligned with his holiness. But when we discriminate, we create chaos and malign his holiness. 
Think about it. Are we able to consistently show genuine love and concern to everyone without partiality? God wants us to treat everyone equally with respect and dignity. We reflect God being uh, God being his image bearer in our relationship with others. The second important application to this is how we treat the how we treat of the opposite sex. In verse 27 it says God made humans as male and female. Both have equally the image of God and bear the responsibilities as image bearers. Man's function as the head of the household doesn't make him any superior to woman. Rather, it calls, us, calls for a bigger responsibility in showing love and consideration to his wife, who is called to be submissive. Are we considering our spouses co-equal with us? We need to treat the opposite sex with utmost dignity and respect, knowing that they are equally God's image bearers. This will affect how we think about sexuality and its role in human life. God created marriage relationship and defined its purpose in the, at the creation of man. If we give in to our lustful desires and fantasize over opposite sex to have self-pressures pleasures, or have wrong motives when, when we are interacting with them or gone to the extent or gone to the extent of even having unlawful relationship with a person other than our spouse, we are guilty of violating God's purpose for us as God's image bearer. We bring disgrace and honor, dishonor to his image when we do that. We need to seriously examine our hearts and repent if we must and get back to the purpose God has created us for. So far we've seen that God has created in his image to reflect his character and bring glory to him, to anchor our true purpose and worth in him and to have right relationship with others. Having said that, uh, having said that, it's interesting to look at a very common uh, worldview among people. World says that we need to have certain things, more money, love, time, experiences, so that we can do some important things in our life, pursue a passion, go on vacation, create a relationship, buy a home, which will then allow us to be what we want in life, for example, to be peaceful, fulfilled, inspired, generous and in love. World attaches our identity to what we have or what we are doing. Have, do and be. That's the world order. This is a completely evolved one. As a child of God, we need to start with be, that is identify who we are. Be God's image bearer in its true sense. It's vital to our identity and decisions we make. When, when our identity is sorted, we do things in line with who we are. Finally, by doing things in God's will, it enables us to have the things God wants us to give us. As children of God, we need to have the right order. Be, do and have. Now we come to the second main point in verse 28. Man's function as God's image bearer. When God created man, he has blessed the mankind and given five commands. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the creation. Simply put, the man was given two major assignments. First three dealing with, the pro dealing with procreation and last two dealing with dominion. First, God's command to man to multiply uh, image bearers. 
God's blessing and command to the first humans are intricately tied with the identity and purpose of man we discussed before. That is, he is created in the image of God and he is to be the image bearer of God. With that in mind, with that in mind, God's intention for man to be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth was just not have procreation without any meaning. By being by being fruitful, multiplying and filling the earth, man would have filled the earth with God's image bearers so that God's glory will be filled throughout the earth. The blessing and the command of God has a spiritual dimension to that rather than just a physical procreation activity. God has given the same blessing to Noah and his son after the flood. Be fruitful and multiply. We read that in first verse of Genesis chapter 9. That means that the blessing and command of the creation mandate did not change even after the fall. But man and entire humankind failed in that. Few generations after Adam, they rebelled against the creation mandate by uniting together by building the Tower of Babel so that they can be all together. The story of mankind continued and the rebellion through the history of Israel. But God raised prophets and leaders to bring them back. God ensured that a remnant group of people who were faithful to him remained so that mankind was not wiped from the face of the earth. When it was the right time, God sent his only son who became the new Adam. He restored the broken relationship and accomplished what the first Adam and the entire humanity failed to do in the creation mandate. The gospel of Christ has opened a new way where a man's heart is transformed by faith from being a flawed image bearer to the ever increasing likeness of Jesus Christ. That would reflect God's glory in true sense. That's the power of gospel we are called to proclaim to bring in spiritual children across the globe. Acts 1.8 quotes the words of Jesus where it says, You will be my witness in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Notice the phrase ends of the earth in the verse we read and see the parallel, that, parallel to that of in verse 28, fill the earth. The ultimate call is to preach the gospel of Christ to the ends of the earth. Jesus gave the command to the disciples to fulfill the creation mandate. When we as a church, are, when we as a church serve the calling of the Great Commission by making disciples of all nations, we bring them to the knowledge of God's glory in salvation, thereby multiplying the image bearers who could reflect God's glory on the earth. Secondly, we see God's command to be faithful steward. Second part of the command is dealing with dominion over the creation. Adam and Eve were given the job of ruling over the ruling over and caring for God's creation as his faithful stewards. The command to rule is given twice in this context, verse 26 and 28, which emphasize its importance. When God told them to subdue the earth and have dominion over it, it was not by abusing and tyrannizing it, but by working and keep it, keeping it as we read in Genesis 2 verse 15. The word for sub subduing is not meant to be violent, but gentle. In doing so, they would communicate to all creation the love, power and goodness of our creator. This is one of the other way God's image, we show God's image bearer in the world. 
Adam's rep- Adam represented God's authority uh, to the world over which he was given dominion. The man was to acknowledge God as a supreme authority and rule under that authority. Man was never given absolute authority. People often wonder why God has put the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the garden of Eden. That that tree reminded Adam and Eve that their authority to rule and subdue the earth was not absolute because they were not they were not supposed to eat from it. That's why Adam and Eve eating of the fruit from the tree of good and evil was such a tragic sin. By eating that fruit Adam and Eve were trying to do precisely precisely what the serpent falsely told them they could do. They were trying to become like God as we read in Genesis chapter 3 verse 5. They were grasping for more power and authority than God had given them. The consequence of Adam's sin were catastrophic because Adam was Adam as the federal head of the entire humankind has led them to the spiritual death. Man again failed in fulfilling God's command of dominion of dominion as God's image bearer. As a result of the fall, man started abusing, exploiting, and violating the authority vested upon them. He continue, we continue to see the dark side of that in today's world as well, where man abuse the authority in our relationship, communities, and nations. When our, what's our response to this as Christians? We are to understand that we are under the ultimate authority of God. We are called to be God's stewards in all spans of dominion God has given, in, given us in our life, whether it be parents, teachers, managers, or leaders. When we fulfill our responsibilities in humility and showing God's love and goodness to others, we reflect God's image through that. Jesus, Jesus Christ is a supreme example for us to, for this. He being God, humbled himself to come to this world, treated even the vilest of sinners with compassion and modeled servant leadership with his life. He stooped to undo the effects of sin and Satan by atoning death on his cross, bringing many sons to the Father. Jesus Christ fulfilled the creation mandate and he is the ultimate authority who is going to rule over the nations in perfect justice, love and goodness when he comes for for the second time. What a joy for us to be part of this being his children. Lastly, we'll see the see from two chapter 2 verse 1 to 3 man's destiny as god's image bearer there we see god's desire for man to enjoy sabbath the the creation of man is a is a high point in god's creative activity but we find the real end goal of lord's work on day 7 genesis chapter 2 verse 1 to 3 tells us that on the seventh day God rested from his original work of creation. Resting does not mean God was exhausted from all his creative activity. Even on the seventh day, he was sustaining his creation by his power. The Lord blessed the seventh day, setting it it apart as holy. His creation was not finished until there was a sanctified space and time. Sabbath rest is a time which God has set apart as holy, for his creation to contemplate on his goodness and enjoy his presence. 
while god's sabbath day after creation is a true rest it's not god's god's only rest it is interesting to note that there is no mention of evening and morning for the account uh, for the account of seventh day the sabbath day has no end implying that it is the it is the final goal goal of creation and it is eternal in its sense when sabbath was instituted as a law for israelites it was it was given for three main purposes first to remember the creator and contemplate on his goodness it was a test of faith to know that god is the one who provides even during the rest and three for our uh, to avoid the exploitation of work what are we created for to be creatures of the seventh day to have fellowship with the creator and worship him at present jesus is the one who makes us holy through his work on the cross through whom we can enter uh, the sabbath dress our sabbath dress is the opportunity opportunity god gives us to share in his delight human life is meant to include more than stewardship of the world Six plus a six plus one arrangement of work and rest is not the rhythm of work plus recovery to able to go back to work. Sabbath is Sabbath time is not a time meant for idleness and laziness, but it is a rhythm of engagement with the world in work and then thankful enjoyment of the world in worship. By worship, I meant I don't primarily mean the church activity, but worship is our offering back to God for Him to enjoy. the climax of the creation is man the worshipper of god for sabbath anticipate greater god's rest which is greater god's rest which is yet to come when he will have finished recreating us in the image of uh, image of his son and he uh, and he will have ultimate victory over all the enemies the good news is that all do have all those who have trust in christ alone can enter to that greater rest that is to come the author of hebrews exhort us in hebrews chapter 4 verse 11 that strive to enter that rest today the entire creation is groaning as paul says in romans chapter 8 verse 22 as we anticipate and look forward to a true sabbath creation also eagerly waits for god's recreation of the new earth and new heavens as promised in revelation chapter 21 when christ comes again we will fully glorify god and enjoy him in worship as we dwell in the in the new heavens and new earth that is the hope and destiny we are looking forward to for those who are not saved and have not found their identity and purpose in christ they will have an eternal torment away from the presence of god may i invite invite you to have the experience of knowing that creator and finding rest in him trusting in the atoning death of christ for the forgiveness of of your sins for that so what did the scripture remind us today we learned that we are created in the image of god as an image bearer of god we must have the right response to our creator right view of ourselves and right relationship with others God has intended us to be the carrier of his image by fulfilling the great commission. God also ordained us to be faithful stewards of the authorities he has rested vested upon us. But our final destiny is to enter God's rest when where we will contemplate contemplate his goodness, enjoy him and reflect his image in the perfect tent, 
perfect sense together with him forever let this thought overrule as we eagerly wait for that great hope let's pray father in heaven thank you for giving us this opportunity to learn from your word thank you for reminding us from the word that we are created in the image of god help us to reflect your son jesus christ in our life and be true image bearer where where when we are living on this earth help us to anchor our truth that that our purpose and identity is in you lord lord equip us to be true image bearers and help us to be faithful stewards of whatever you have entrusted in us but may we be living a life looking forward to the true sabbath a true rest you will be giving us when you will be coming us for the second time help us to live a life living in that hope lord 